You know, I'm always grateful for our music and especially this morning. And uh, Martha wrote that, by the way. Uh, Martha Mason, not, we call her Martha too. Or Martha squared or Martha the second power, whatever. Martha wrote that. So let's, uh, let's just appreciate that offering of our gifts. Uh, and, and it does take all of us, but wow, it is more than the sum of the parts, isn't it? And uh, when people ask why church, sometimes I think it's like asking the question, why art and why beauty and why love? These are, these are things that we get to be in together. And in Advent, we ask the question around some really important themes as well. Why hope? And why joy? And why love? And today, why peace? As we hear a story in the life of Jesus, we are in, in uh, this series pairing those big themes and the call of Advent to them to believe that those are actually possible. The challenge of Advent to things like hope and love and joy and peace and uh, we're pairing those themes with the stories of Jesus that were miracles around those very themes. So this is a miracle in the, the life of Jesus from Mark chapter 4. And as we listen uh, to the words of Scripture, we listen for the living word of God, Jesus Christ, who brings life and fullness of life. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You know, the holiday season has the, the really two sides, the two sides that we see in the story, two sides that are really part of the human uh, condition, I think. One side is represented maybe uh, in our expectation for peace on earth, or this, this song kind of captures it, I think, a sense of calm and wonder that we, that we want for Christmas, uh, the, the snow and the lights gleaming just right, and children singing. And the announcement of the angels uh, that God has acted so decisively to bring peace on earth and goodwill to all humankind. And there's a place where we all just not take a deep breath, let it out, and hope that that's possible. But as that music fades, we also realize there's another side to even our celebration of Christmas, that it's perhaps a bit more chaotic. And as we announce peace on earth, goodwill to men, we also recognize that that can sound tone deaf in a world that has a bit of chaos as well. I don't know if you recognize, did anybody happen to catch what that music, what, what movie that music came from? Home Alone, right? And so we all know that the whole theme of that movie is, uh, is around chaos of Christmas. They forgot a kid, right? Uh, and uh, today you would just pick up your cell phone and, and you know, deal with that. But you know, made a whole movie out of it. And um, there's a chaotic scene at the beginning that you might recognize that might also feel like Christmas to you. Hey, Where's the this music and then this scene 
Does Christmas sort of feel like that sometimes, too, as we make our preparations, as we're over-programmed and over-committed um, and maybe over-budget? To what extent you experience that tension, you are welcome to the human race, right? The tension between an expectation, even a biblical expectation of peace on earth, and our lived reality, which sometimes is that and sometimes isn't. And, and yet, as I said, the, the Advent season really is a challenge to do our work, to do our soul work around these things like peace and to not really leave us alone to say, well, well, we have to decide, is this legit or not? Do we believe in this or not? We can't kind of just slide along. If we're doing Advent right, there is a point where that just becomes a little too uncomfortable, and we have to make a decision to do our soul work so that we remain expectant, so that we don't give up on things that matter. That, in fact, we keep our expectations high precisely when we would be tempted to let them go. This preparation work is captured in the words of the hymn, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. And that, dis- that tension is something that the disciples experienced around the theme of peace. Jesus had been teaching all day in a boat uh, because there were better acoustics uh, to do that. And uh, finally, the day had come to a close and Jesus had instructed his disciples to head to the other side of the lake and they would do it all over again tomorrow. They would do it all over again the next day. And so Jesus was exhausted, and soon enough, the soft sounds of the waves rocking the boat, Jesus is at perfect peace. He falls asleep. And just at that point, the tranquil little uh, voyage gets interrupted by a furious squall, as Mark describes it. Like this storm, uh, I showed it in our series on the... Uh, on the places in the Bible. This is a storm in 2020 on the Sea of Galilee. A a, a reminder that things can change very quickly on, on the lake. And so in the midst of this, Jesus is asleep. It is a disconnect, isn't it? And that's, that's good because it will go on and on and on. He's asleep. He's asleep in the midst of a storm like that. And so we probably would be like those disciples. Sometimes we feel like the disciples are a little bit of, you know, like the foil for us. And we, they, they say silly things. This seems like a pretty reasonable thing. Hey, Jesus, maybe you could wake up and deal with this problem. In fact, they, they actually say uh, this, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And that question, let's ponder that for a second, is a question that is at the tension of our own sense of peace in the world or in our lives or as we think about natural disasters or war in the Middle East. As we wrestle with peace, I think behind our sense of chaos is that question, does God care? I wonder if we find ourselves in that place, when we find ourselves in the storm. Hey, God, maybe you could wake up and do something. In Mark, we get an immediate response, and it is a decisive one to the disciples' question. Jesus doesn't say anything to them. He gets up, then speaks to the waves and to the wind. He rebukes them, Mark says, 
And he says, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Now, the words there that Jesus uses are strong words. Silence is is a command. And then it has the connotation of muzzling a dog, like shutting it down, getting it under control. And so this is a story we tell that we consider is a miracle that the wind and the waves would grow calm at the word of Jesus. And if we were to stop there, if it were only that, I think it could be a nice story of how powerful God is and how God maybe can flex his muscles and make things happen. But as I've been reflecting on the whole of that miracle, I kind of help but wonder maybe that there's more to it because we've all experienced times where maybe that, that peace came, we asked for it, and it came immediately. Sometimes it's a poof, sometimes it's more of a process. But what Mark, I think, wants us to understand, it's also and primarily a person. And the whole story centers actually around that. The most obvious thing about the miracle is that Jesus is in the boat with the disciples when the storm happens. And this is the miracle that we tell at Christmas, miracle of incarnation. The miracle of all of it is that Jesus is in the boat with us. And the disciples don't understand yet what that means. Maybe you can relate. Maybe when you look at the externals and you see the realities of our world, the, the, the truth that Jesus is with us in the boat and what it means that Jesus is in the boat with us has not yet become clear. Because Jesus seems to be answering the question that the disciples asked. Does God care? Do you care? He gets up and does something decisive. I care so much, he says, that I crossed heaven into earth to, rep- to pre- be present with you in the storm so much that I would be willing to experience the worst with you, so much that even our chaotic moments of fear and terror can be the place where we discover that true peace is possible. And the disciples didn't understand. They had Jesus in the, they had, they had Jesus in the boat with them. They didn't understand what that, what that meant. And so they freaked out. It made me think of a story several years ago, but in this room, back when it was, you know, facing this way, maybe about here, Matt, Matt maybe where you're, you're sitting, uh, it was a, a Sunday morning, and somebody who doesn't, who moved away, um, was, had the flu, they came to church with the flu, uh, a tall guy, and um, that's a, a dehydrated uh, tall people is a recipe, by the way, I don't know if you knew that, and um, I, over the years, you learn that some things can happen in worship, and you kind of figure out what to do with it. Like if there's an incident over here, sometimes I will walk over here and try to get your attention so you don't, you know, you're not watching what happens over here. And, and we've had some medical events uh, through the years. Uh, so uh, anyway, tall guy with the flu stood up and fainted, just went right over. It's a hard thing to ignore, you know, in a, in a space like this. Uh, what happened next was uh, the person behind him is a surgeon you know, a well-trained doctor, within about two seconds was tending to him, uh, kind of figuring out what was going on, assessing it wasn't a, a, a terrible emergency, uh, but, you know, there was, there was somebody there. That's kind of the ir- ironic part of it because everybody else was still freaking out, and you couldn't really see. It's kind of, it was dark in here. And so what happened next was the person next to the guy was still freaking out, stood up in the chair, one of these chairs, and yelled, is there a doctor in the house? And my favorite part, watching this all play out, was the doctor who was already working on the guy, looking up like, what am I, chopped liver? 
sort of like the disciples freaking out, is don't you care? Isn't that the, the most ironic question? To ask the Son of God who's shown up on earth to be in the, the boat with them in the storm, do you even care? Of course. Who am I? And they didn't yet know. And it shows us that there is a dynamic with peace that, that, that we need to understand, that there is the external reality of it, and then there is the internal reality. What if peace on earth is simply the lived reality, the, the lived awareness that Jesus got in the boat with us? It doesn't mean that necessarily the chaotic things stop, at least at first. And that's where we get tripped up because we can't imagine how there could be peace when we don't experience it when we look around us. But that is where we get tripped up. This is where we miss out because peace isn't primarily about that, not the absence of hustle and bustle, not the, 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 the um, ending of chaos, chaos and conflict at first, the obstacles and obligations of life that get us tripped up. But what if peace started instead in the internal part, in us? What if peace was something that we could cultivate as simply an awareness that we bring into those chaotic situations and then transform them? What if that is the order of things, that peace does actually begin inside before it gets outside? And what if we could cultivate that awareness? What if that's what Advent was? What if that is what Christmas was? Not the chaotic running around of getting all things done, but the cultivating of the peace that surpasses understanding. I think this is what Paul is saying to the Philippians uh, when he talks about these patterns of behavior that lead to peace. This is in Philippians 4, some of our favorite of all the scriptures. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's a command. It is it is a, an activity. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll, again, I'll say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Gentleness being the opposite of freaking out in the storm or lashing out in the conflict. The Lord is near. He's in the boat with us. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, a whole orientation to life, not of lack, but of abundance, Present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that is a beautiful scripture. What I love is what Paul does next to clarify what he means when he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice and... This is the important part. It's no longer the peace of God. Paul switches the order of the words around. But the God of peace will be with you. And what the disciples didn't understand was what that really means. My guess is there are plenty of times when we don't either, that the God of peace is with us. How that begins to transform our internal reality, the way we engage our world, and then ultimately the peace that happens here. It's not just an attitude adjustment. Hey, chill out. It's not just a, a, maybe a command from Jesus says to the disciples, hey, stop freaking out. Jesus says to them, hey, um, maybe you could have a little faith here. 
And, and um, what I think sometimes when we read that part of the, the, the story, it feels like a scolding or shame. But I think what Jesus is saying is like, hey, what am I, chopped liver? Don't you realize who you have in the boat with you? Christmas is the announcement that no matter the external circumstances, the God of peace will be with us. And we sometimes tell the Christmas story as if peace on earth had already happened and then Jesus got chunked into it. And that is not the story, is it? That in fact, Jesus comes into the story at the least likely place when peace was least believable. The announcement of the angels to people who would have gone, yeah, I don't know about that. We kind of feel like that's a modern thing. I think it is much more the, the reality of the whole scripture that God would choose this random people, this slave people, and say, you're my people, and I'm going to bless the world through you. Or cast this vision with their prophets that would say, there is a day coming when they will beat their swords into plowshares and their, their spears into tuning, uh, uh, trimming devices, and that they will train for war. No more. The challenge has always been, is there a people that believes that that is possible because God is with them? And that's the challenge of Advent. Do we believe it? Advent asks us to prepare for the truth that my internal peace can change the world, that in fact we become part of the miracle. It can't leave us alone until we determine that that's even possible, that that's the challenge. So um, let me talk about some chaos for a second then. Uh, so uh, we, Jenny and I, went over the weekend, over the last weekend, uh, end of last weekend, over the weekend to Oklahoma so, so our son Isaac uh, could graduate from basic training. And we were there in Oklahoma for that. And um, I've never been to Oklahoma before. Have you ever, how many of you have been there? It's a lovely place. I had lower expectations. I really, I really, really, I really liked it. Somebody said, I only know Oklahoma through their fans, and I don't think we need to get into that. Uh, they're sports fans. But uh, I really, really, really did like Oklahoma. And we had originally planned to fly back Friday, but we didn't know when we were going to be done with Isaac, and the Army doesn't really care to give us lots of information about how, you know, our time. So we moved our flight back to yesterday, and that allowed for two things. It allowed for us to try to fly into Nashville during a tornado. That was fun. And our plane got from Oklahoma City to Nashville, and then we flew around a few times, and then we went to Memphis. Uh, and so at 7 o'clock last night, we were in Memphis uh, trying to kind of process what, you know, like our kid going off and doing things and us trying to get back home. And the last time we had been on an airplane was in Israel, so there's a whole kind of thing there. Ah. Uh, and so, yeah, so peace isn't always easy. But the other thing that that uh, switch in our schedule allowed was that yesterday, Jenny and I went to Oklahoma City and we went uh, to the memorial there uh, to, um, to remember how on the morning of April 19th, 1995, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols exploded a rider truck full of explosives and killed 168 people and injured 680 more an act of domestic terrorism attacking the federal government for its policies and the Branch Davidian incident. And I remember at the time uh, in 1995 asking the question, how could anybody hate our government and why would anybody do that? I think there's a bit of innocence in that question back when I was 18 years old or so. 
But Jenny and I toured the museum, and I, anybody, not, those of you who've been to Oklahoma, and anybody been to the memorial there, it's worth doing. Uh, and they tell the story very well, and you, you sort of experience it as, as you walk through. It was, at times, it was almost too much, actually, a little, little PSD from, PTSD from Israel again. Um, but it told the story well. And, and part of that story was of the violence that was inflicted that day. But I would say most of the story that was told is of every other response to that that was carried into that situation. It revealed something. I was thinking, man, there, there is a lot of, of power in the human heart to do evil. One or two or three people can, can do a lot of harm. That negative side also reveals the positive side, doesn't it? That equally so, and perhaps more so, the capacity in the human heart to carry peace around and to act out of that peace. So as we were finishing our tour of the day, as we came into the gift shop, I saw this uh, shirt. And they didn't have my size, or I probably would have just worn it today. But there in the midst of a place where there had been death and destruction, a stake in the ground, a symbol of a, of, a, of a lot of strength and resilience and determination and a vision for peace. A reminder that there isn't an act of violence or terror that can make us give up that vision. Nobody can make us do that. And so Christmas Advent is a challenge to remind us that the Son of God is in the boat with us. And that changes everything. The one the prophet Isaiah had spoken of centuries before. The light for people who had been walking in darkness. A child who was born, the government on his shoulders. And he would be wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace. He, he is in the boat with us. And as we remember that, let's pray together. God, as we reflect on our celebration of Christmas, in these moments, we recommit ourselves to the hope that peace is possible and not in some abstract way, but in the miracle of the incarnation that you came to be in it with us, that we could carry peace around in us despite the circumstances of our lives, that the internal reality would then shape the external dynamics. And so our prayer is to the one who is the Prince of Peace, who cares so much that he would not leave us alone in our chaos. And so as we celebrate, God, would you help us cultivate that peace? Would you help us make that our celebration? to find the ways to carry that around with us in the next weeks. And when those moments of chaos begin to creep in, would you remind us to take a deep breath and to remember who is in this with us? We also pray that we be, we be people of peace, that we would carry that vision of healing and wholeness around with us and that we would see signs of its possibility wherever we go, that we would begin to act on that peace through our acts of love and generosity, that our gentleness would be evident to all, 
that we would give to things like the children's home. Because we believe healing and wholeness is possible for children who've been abandoned or who struggle. God, would you help us be people of peace as we go into our families and those chaotic dynamics that sometimes arise. Help us primarily by being with us. And God, we do pray for our world, that your church would carry your vision of peace to the day that all violence would cease and that you would wipe every tear from every eye. And we make our prayer in the confidence not of our own ability to have a better attitude. We make our prayer in the name of Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth, our Prince of Peace. In his name we pray. Amen.